0: Idea. all right make up I think we need to evolve the podcast all right what well, you got in mind well why don't we just start recording all the chats we have
1: when we're talking about leadership okay what are we gonna call it sense makers sense makers love it and have we got a backer of course we
0: have tsunami sport quality when are we starting now get this end round I'll put kettle on
1: top man I'll be around in five
0: Dr. David Loveland has been an administrator for the past 17 years in several different roles in Korea, the US, and Hong Kong. He is currently the high school principal for Hong Kong International School. David demonstrates a continued commitment to developing innovative education programs, promoting a positive culture, building relationships, and being grounded in supporting all learners. Welcome
2: to the show, David. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: And David, you're here to talk to us today about leading from the side. And you described that as empowering a community to move forwards together, building trust and creating a culture of care. Quite a mouthful. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've arrived at this um, this idea of leading from the side.
2: Sure. You know, I I think that with my journey, I've been really fortunate to have amazing mentors um, all the way through my educational career. And so they've uh, they've really shaped who I am. I've learned a lot. And, you know, when I think back of, you know, I've been an administrator for 17 years and what I was as an administrator then compared to now how I, how I worked through um, difficult situations, easy situations have all changed a lot and, and I think that when I really reflect on it, it's that people took the time to to work with me and to be really interactive and make sure that that um, that I would grow along the way and uh, and there's a lot of things that go into that and so you know for me leading, leading from the side is about um, looking for opportunities to grow people that are in your organization, and doing it in a way that is safe and, but also, you know, pushes them out there a little bit.
1: I was just going to say, is that the starting point really of caring, having somebody who mentors you and starts to actually take some interest in your development as a person, as a leader?
2: Yes, I think as leaders, you know, oftentimes we get caught up in our own lives and our own work, and and instead, if we just take a step back for a minute, you'll see there's there's a lot of people in the organization. That 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 want to lead or or are doing such a great job, but may not see themselves as a leader. And so it, it really, if we if we just pause for a minute and look for the look for opportunities within our our schools and and find those gems and those people that really want to to do something a little bit different or want to shape their craft a little bit differently. I think that it's really up to us to do that. And and over the years, I've been able to find some really amazing people. And and some of them have moved into admin and some of them have not. And they've just continued as being a a strong leader in the classroom, which is amazing too.
1: So take us back a little bit then, David. You've had 17 years years as as an administrator. Before that, how did you get involved in education? Who were the mentors that really start to shape your progression into leadership? And, and how has that helped you to, to get to that stage where you want to be a mentor and help develop others?
2: Sure. So I, you know, I, um, I loved being a high school student in the US. Uh, I, I was all about athletics and activities. And, uh, and, and I had an amazing teacher, uh, Tom Buckner, who was our leadership teacher, along with some really um, incredible coaches along the way. And these, these men shaped who I was at the time. And, and, and at the time, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go to college. I was thinking about going to the military. And uh, and, I, and I happened to have a, a really good uh, senior year of, of football. And so all of a sudden, I was recruited. And, and these, these guys also brought me along and said, you know what? You can always go to the military. Take that opportunity. Go play in college. And so I did. I took that opportunity. and I played sport all the way through college. And, and along the way, I had, again, there are so many pivotal moments in my life. Where somebody paused or took the time, and sometimes that time was some hard hard love, you know, to say, you know, what are you doing? You're better than this. Uh, and then there's also also other times where you know I had somebody put their arm around me and say they're really proud of me. And so you know that that shaped my my life through college. And then as I as I became a teacher and then moved into administration, um, you know, at the time these were just my colleagues, you know, the other principals and the other um, the other administrators. And, and and when I look back on them now. They had amazing careers, and I just, you know, I was new in the, I was new in the organization, and they were just, you know, Dave, or they were just Carla, or they were just Bruce, and so, you know, and and now I look back, and the and the growth that they that they um, gave to me was incredible. You know, they, they, um, they, they were also really critical. You know, they they sat next to me, and and they would let me make a mistake. And then they would walk me through it and, and how we could look at things differently. So, again, they, they, I was shoulder tapped at times to try out different things. And, um, and I think that that's also part of this as well.
1: Tell us a little bit about those seminal moments, David. We're a big fan of seminal moments, Alan and I. And, sure. You know, I think as you, as you look back retrospectively, it's, it's quite easy to spot those the sliding doors moments, aren't they? Of your life could have taken a very different path had you made a different decision. Can you pick out maybe two or three of those that have been really, really important in your journey?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, you know, again, uh, coaching and athletics and activities, it's the reason why I went to education. I loved every bit of it, every part of it. And, uh, and I was able to, to, right out of the gate, have, a, have a, a job that fulfilled a lot of those things. I was an activities director and in a high school, a large high school of 1,700 students I was coaching football and wrestling and I was a health teacher and, and, you know, I, I'd made it at, you know, at 26 years old, I'd made it. And I was, I was ready to do this for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I got involved and, you know, for me, we started making really great movement in a school, creating a positive culture, working really closely with students and building up leaders. And then in my second year, uh, budget cuts came and I was riffed. I was, it was reduced and forced. And so, you know, I'm in this school where we were just making some some really good headway. I had just been named as the athletic director, and then because of budget cuts, I was the last one in, so I was the first one to go. Oh, and uh, and so that was that was a hard that was a hard day. And mm. and when that happened, you know, my principal came in and she's like, she said, you know, I I was trying to keep you here, and um, it's just it's it's all a system. And she goes, but um, I want you to talk to one of my friends who may have an opening for you. And so. I, that same day I went over to a different school and interviewed for an athletic director job of a large, very successful um, athletic program. And then I was hired a few days later. And so that moment was a huge turning point for me. I, I thought I was going to be at this other school for a number of years, building culture and, and really working together with the team that we have been building. And then in the, in the blink of an eye, I was in a totally different place. Now and, and the school that I came into uh, was a, was a high-powered athletic school, uh, about 1,300 students and about 800 athletes, nationally ranked. Um, you know, and many of the students go on and play in college and also in the pros. Uh, and along with it, it was a high academic school, and so that was a very different environment for me to to go into and work. And then really strong administration along with it. And so that was my that was my first. Push definitely into administration and, and kind of shaping um, one of those one, you know what uh, some of those some of those important moments. Now one one of the seminal moments as an administrator was in those roles was um, I was I was an athletic director. I was in my first year of this job and I was meeting with a parent and uh, and, and and the parent and I were just were butting heads really bad. And, and so the parent had asked for the principal to be in the meeting. And I, you know, of course I, I didn't care about that. And so I said, no problem. And and the, the principal came in and we had this meeting and I presented my case and the parent was angry and they, and they left. And, and after that, my principal looked at me and he said, um, so you did a really good job of presenting your case. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Because you've, you've burned that relationship. So you were right. And how important was it for you to be right today? did you have to be that right? You know, and, um, and it was a really big moment for me. And I think about that conversation all the time, you know, when we have conflicts um, with colleagues and parents, and I say, how important is it for me to be right in this moment, to to just show somebody that I know what I'm doing, or to show somebody that they are, that they aren't, they aren't doing it correctly. and And I think it's a, it was an important lesson for me. And, and I think that, you know, throughout there's times that I've walked into lots of different, you know, problems and, you know, and, and um, you know, been fortunate to be able to learn from them and work through it.
0: It's super powerful that, David, the, how important is it for you to be right in that moment? And that's certainly a takeaway I'm going to put into my own practice as well. I, I just want to play with a few semantics here because I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this book, The, the Tyranny of Words mm-hmm. of Stuart Chase. And you've used the word administration a number of times. You're a leader, and you probably use the term manager as well. Now, to those guys out there, particularly in British systems, American systems, and and international networks, Mm -hmm. what do you think the difference is between administration, management, and leadership? Or are they all the same?
2: What does it mean? What's the semantics? Yeah, I actually think it's, you know, especially as I moved into the international world, the the words uh, the, the the positions are all the same and they all have different titles and so <laughs> it, it really it really truly depends on where you are you know I think back that I was a I was a dean of students uh, in my first role that is not seen as being administrative um, I had the roles of it but it wouldn't have been classified as administrative and then overseas as a dean of, as a dean of students you definitely are administrative you know and so but but I think with with all of these Um, every school and every organization you go into there's a different flavor of what that role is of of what the expectations are and what those teams look like
0: so it's about context yeah everything's about context we have a lovely phrase on this podcast how context shapes the narrative
2: yes and and I would tell you that moving moving from the U.S. uh, to Korea and then to Hong Kong I've worked with so many international teachers and international families and and the nice thing is is that if I if I'm saying a term that they aren't sure about they they put me in check and that's good you know and so we try to work through that together or you know I think that definitely when I my first year overseas I made a lot of assumptions uh, I made a lot of assumptions that uh, that the systems that I that I knew really well everyone else had the same system or something similar and uh, you know a I, 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 I mentor of mine said don't commit don't commit a suicide you know, and, and, uh, and so, and that's true, right? It's really true that I, so, so I'm very cautious now about what I assume um, to be true and what I assume that everybody knows. Yeah, you, you're, you're totally right. I mean, we're all been guilty of
0: committing a shimmy side, haven't we, in, in the past with that? <laughs> um, you talk, David, um, leading from the side, and a lot of that is about building social equity from all yep. stakeholders and, and, and developing an environment of respect and care, uh, tell our listeners a little bit how you can build social equity within their organization
2: Well, I think that first of all you have to you have to be willing to let your email pile up um, I don't think that you can do both. I think that if you're trying to keep it a clean inbox at all times uh, something gives you know I, I receive anywhere from eighty to one hundred and twenty emails a day some of that's junk some of it's real you know but Um, but what I, you know, I, I put a really strict system in place so that I I clean out my email at different times, allowing for an open door policy, like a true open door policy that my door is open during the day. I do encourage people to, that instead of sending an email to come to my office and for us to meet, or that I can meet them in their space because I'm not sitting at my computer the whole day. Um, and, and a part of that is just really outlining what the expectations are. I share with our families and our, and our teachers and faculty and staff here that, you know, I, I clean out my inbox every Sunday and Wednesday and anytime it hits over 200. If it hits over 200 emails in my inbox, I stop what I'm doing. I, I, set, I set aside at least an hour and I go somewhere and I just bring it back down so I can get back to people. Um, but again, this is all information that I share with everyone. And when I first came here, I was told, you know, that this is, it's a too high pace of a school. You won't be able to do that. And I said, but if, but if, I, if I don't create a system for this, we won't have time to meet and we won't have time to connect with each other. I need to know who, um, you know, who my, my faculty members' spouses are and who their kids are and what's happening in their lives so that, so that we can all lead together and, and lead, from a, um, lead from a place where we have a lot of knowledge.
0: Yeah, I, our, our old mentor, Simon Mann from British School Manila would, would talk about education as being a people business. Yes. It's all about relationships and connections that, that system you've put in place, does it really work, David? I mean, do, do you yeah. get the chance to go around? I mean, how many how many staff have you got in your huge school? Do you get to know absolutely everybody?
2: Yeah, so we have we have eighty faculty members and we have thirty staff, so one hundred and ten faculty and staff in our school. Um, and we but we've put, we've put in a few things that help out with this. Is that every Monday morning we have a fifteen to twenty minute stand up meeting. And, and, it's, and we start off the day with appreciations. So it's a chance for our, for our faculty and staff to celebrate the great things that are happening in our school or appreciating a colleague of what they've been doing. Uh, another thing that I ask about are what, are what are some of the things you're trying out? Successes and fails. And let's, let's share out you know, different things and, and, and maybe there's different ideas in the room that we can be uh, working on. And then also, you know, if there's anybody who wants to appreciate it, somebody they're collaborating with. And then, and then the rest of that meeting, is, is some nuts and bolts for the week. It's quick. Um, but then we also finish that meeting with an opportunity for um, a daily devotion. If people want to stay afterwards and, and we run that. And so I think that, you know, it's a 15 minute, 15, 20 minute meeting always. And, uh, we don't it's not longer than that. And we're really, we're really tight with it, but, but that means that I get a hundred people in the room, in the same room every week. And, and that's, and that's been really important. Um, during the day, I also allow my secretary to own my calendar. And, you know, I don't, I don't spend the time going back and forth with people trying to get appointments. Uh, and I share with people that if you, you know, if you need to sit and schedule a time with me, then please just schedule the time so that we can sit and, and close the door and, and really have a conversation. If you just want to pop in, then just pop in. But, you know, when somebody walks in my door, I close my computer, I put it off to the side, I grab a notebook and we sit down and we talk. And um, you know, one one of my colleagues, a good friend of mine, Patrick Rich, who um, who works at um, at an international school in Abu Dhabi, is he used to say, "People before paper," and and I and I 100% believe in it. And and does it does it stress me out? And does it doesn't mean that at times my email gets a little out of control and that you know we have to deal, I have to apologize for that? Yes, it does mean that. But but I think that what on the other side of that, our parents can access it, access me anytime, and so can our faculty and staff.
1: I wanted to explore that a little bit, David, because, you know, that, that people before paper is a, is a wonderful phrase. Um, I really like that one. To, when, when it doesn't work, David, when you don't get that balance right, what is it that's yep. the major player in it? What is it that, that's the driver yep. that really knocks that out of sync? Because I imagine it, it can't work how you want it to every time, right?
2: For sure. You know, I mean, I would say that the, the other piece that I do is that, when I go home at night, um, I don't work at night unless I absolutely have to. And actually I, I, I stay in my office. Um, when I go home, I wanna be home, I wanna be present with my family. Um, and, and what I try to do is I try to leave my office by five o'clock each day and so that I can be home with my family. But every Sunday night I work. So I work from six to nine, six to 10 every Sunday night to get ready for the week. I look at my calendar about what's coming up. I send emails that are all time delayed for Monday, um, you know, our, our my administrative team and I, we've put in place uh, an agreement that we don't send emails from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, to anyone and our faculty. And so, you know, we I th- again, I think part of it is just being really intentional about what we're doing, and then also telling people you're doing it right, so that so they understand if they don't get an immediate email back of what's going on. Um, but the other thing is that when I come in in the mornings, I take 15 minutes. You know, I come in before anybody else and I scan my email. I scan the subject lines to see if there's anything urgent and that's stuff I'll deal with right away. But then that's, that's really it. Um, and then, you know, and then I think that are there times where it doesn't work? Yeah. Right now I'm in hiring, you know, I'm doing hiring season right now. And, and the other thing is I just finished meeting with all of our teachers who are, um, that I'm either observing this year or were up for contract. And so over the course of three weeks, I had fifty. 50 conferences, 50 meetings with, with faculty members. And so, you know, that, that jams me up and, and, and my secretary's hair is definitely sticking straight up during that time, trying to get everybody in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and during those days, it's rough, you know, it's, it's one after another, but I'll tell you when I, as every time I finish those days, I'm like, man, I've, I've learned something new about somebody. I'm, you know, I'm also hearing about how they want to grow you know, in these meetings, I've heard teachers say, you know, I've been a, we have a chemistry teacher who's a a brilliant chemistry teacher. It said, you know, I'd really like to explore a little bit of the psychology courses. I've I've done a lot of work in it. I've done some reading in it. And I've just never really had an opportunity to do that. If I didn't have these conversations, I would have never known that. And so, you know, to fast forward two years later, she's, she's teaching a psychology class. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to really get to know people and, and have those moments of, you know, where do you what do you see yourself doing? You know, how do you keep things fresh? You know, we have a number of faculty that have been here a long time, and so we want them to make sure that they're continually to grow and and learn as well.
1: And you know what, David, there'll be there'll be people listening to this who that's music to their ears, what you've just said, the fact that it is possible to be in a leadership position, to be a principal of a school and not be tied to a desk. We all know that there are um, there are people working in schools that feel that, that that's how they, they have to manage to stay on top of emails. And that's not just leaders, you know, but that that's schools in general, isn't it? There's that emphasis yeah. and that pressure on keeping up to date and almost living in your inbox and trying to create those sort of routines that allow you just that breathing space to get to know people are sometimes the hardest thing to do. And you make it sound ever so simple.
2: Um, I know, I know it. Well, well, even I'll tell you for, when I think back of, of my early years as a leader, the minute an email came in or the minute a text message came in, I got back to people right away. It was on my phone. I did it all the time. And, uh, and I've changed that practice, you know, is that because part of it is, is that if you, if you, it's, you know what, if you do that, great that you're staying on top of it, but you're also training people to have that expectation. You know, that, that if I message Dave at seven o'clock at night, I'm expecting a response at seven o'clock at night. And what I tell our parents and, and, our, and our faculty and staff here is that if you need to get a hold of me at seven o'clock at night, call me. Mm-hmm. My cell phone is at the bottom of my email. It's for everybody. I, I, I've never I've only had one parent in my entire career misuse it. And so my cell phone is there. So if you truly need to get a hold of me, it's in, it's in the bottom of every email that you get from me and so just call me and it's okay but otherwise put in an email i'll get back to you in a few days
0: i just i'm just trying to envisage of leaving your phone number working in a uk comprehensive school and having that at the bottom of your email <laughs> what about that louise what do you reckon to that <laughs> it's like anything isn't it I, I, I mean...
1: I probably wouldn't have done it um, when I worked in the UK. But you'd you'd like to think that people would respect your space and your privacy. And like like David said, even wherever you go, there's there's always one. There's there's always one, isn't it? But that that idea, David, of social equity, you've just run us through some incredibly simple things. Um, And again, you've made them sound really easy, but giving us that sort of context to it and the logistics behind them. Checking your emails Monday, Wednesday, working on a Sunday night, freeing yourself up through the day, getting your staff together on a Monday morning for 15, 20 minutes of, of real time together to, to connect. Where do you fit in all the, the sort of more mundane tasks, all the bureaucracy and the paperwork that we know comes with education and certainly with leadership? When, when does that happen?
2: Yeah, I think that that's the challenging thing is that definitely as a principal, you know, I have weekly principal meetings, um, you know, that are just on my schedule. You know, and, and I think the part of it is you have to be really good with your calendar. Uh, I live by my calendar. I have a secretary who's amazing with my calendar and we work really closely together. And, you know, if she puts something, it, the funny thing is that when she puts something on my calendar, I'm much more likely to honor that than if I put it on myself. Uh, you know, if I put it, if I put it on there myself, it's a little easier for me to go, oh, I'll just do that a little bit later. Um, but, you know, when when there's also time when, when I need to, um, all right, definitely during COVID with, uh, the uh, having to read government documents, you know, I scheduled an hour in my day to read those documents and, and so that I could sit and I could be present and I could make sure that i do it correctly. And so the other, you know, the other piece is, is that when, when those areas come up that you have to get done, I think you just got to make sure you're scheduling it in. That's my Sunday night though. And I've become really good at it. You know, I write a, I read a letter to our faculty, uh, the other parts of my, my associate principals, they add into this letter as well. And then and then it's one communication that goes out every Sunday night to be read Monday morning. The only reason why we send it Sunday night is because I've had fact, some faculty members say, I'd really like to see it ahead of time before Monday starts. But but what I tell them is that there isn't anything in that article in that in that newsletter that is that, that you have to read outside of hours. You can read it first thing Monday morning and then you'll be good to go for the week.
1: Yeah. So this sat- seems David,
0: sorry sorry Lewis i was just i just wanted to touch upon the concepts of trust here it seems mm-hmm. that everything you do david is based around building trust all these little mechanisms um i'm just reading some some work at the moment david from a lady called megan shannon moran who who talks about fostering trust and uh, She talked about six things. I'd just like to share them with you and you can maybe point out which ones that, that you really utilize in your role. Number one is demonstrating integrity. Two is power sharing without micromanaging. Three is resolving conflict. Four is showing vulnerability. Five is addressing unprofessionalism. And six is a coaching model. I'm just wondering out of those six, which ones you really lend yourself to 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 being the most successful there in fostering trust
2: yeah you know all of those areas are actually really important and as you were talking about them i i could i could you know think about specific scenarios in the last few years where where those areas were very important Um, integrity is everything we all know that if if you don't have integrity or if your faculty or staff um don't believe that you lead with integrity it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter, you know, the kind of school that you're in, it will always be meringue. You will always be very thin. You know, you'll never be able to build uh, what you, what you really want to be able to build. So I think that, um, you know, and, and there are times where, where, you know, integrity is, is so challenging because, you know, especially when you're running a large organization, you know, you have, you have, You're trying to be true to yourself, you're also trying to be true to an organization, and then you're also trying to be true to the people that are in it. And a lot of times those are competing realities. And so really trying to understand who you are and what you believe and what you don't believe, um, you know, is important. Uh, Power sharing is critical. A hundred percent, a hundred percent power sharing is critical, is that um, I trust people to, to do their jobs. I trust people to be professional you know, we hire amazing people. So let them be amazing. And, and then, but then invest in them to make sure that they have the skills to do it. Or, you know, the other thing is that they, you have to be okay with the fact they may not do it the same way that you were going to do it. And it may not be exactly what you wanted, but as long as it's at the, at the level in which you wanted it at, it's okay. It's okay if it looks a little different. But if you if you go in and scoop in and save that every time, or if you take that power away every time, they, they're always going to lean to you. They're always going to need you in that meeting. And, um, and I think that that's something here, you know, conversations we've had with our faculty and, and our teams here is that, you know, when, when somebody wants to meet with me, you know, the first thing I ask is, um, you know, please give me a little more information about the meeting. And, and if it's something that should be going to one of my associate principals, I'll tell that parent that, you know, really you should be meeting with the teacher first or you should be meeting with these associate principals first uh, because that's, that's what they're in charge of. Their associate principals and that's what they're in charge of and so but if i take that meeting every time I, I just you know i i hurt the organization so i think that's that's pretty um pretty powerful for sure um conflict what was the one after conflict i scribbled. you yeah, we've got uh, resolving
0: conflict showing vulnerability addressing well, professionalism and, and coaching
2: yeah vulnerability i think is, a, is another one is it you know, there are definitely times um, when you need to be out in front and you own the things, own some things that are hard, you own things that you screwed up with. Um, and and, and when, they, when you have a great success, look for someone else that you can push in front and give them that win. You know, there's definitely times when, when we're going to make a decision and, and i look to one of my associate principals and say, I want you to message that out because that's a good win. So you take that win, you know, and make sure that people around your team are getting those wins. You know, and so trying to I think that's that's another thing that when I think about my growth as a leader over time is is that b- being comfortable with taking a step back and, and, and then pushing someone forward to take that, you know, the the applause. And I think early on, um, I was I was always trying to show that I knew what I was doing. And so I would I would I would take that. And now I really work hard to try to get other people to to take that applause. Because I'm good, I've been doing it a while. I'm okay. <laughs> how,
1: how does I think that that's
0: sign of um, experience, isn't it? It's a sign of experience. And age. Yeah, so I was just going to ask about
1: that. But where's that? Where's that point, David, where you yep. felt to yourself, well, actually, I have enough credit. I have enough kudos. This this isn't necessarily about me. We know in leadership, it, it's never a me business, is it? It's, it's a we business, and it can't be done without the people around you. But what, can you can you identify a specific time or a or a phase in your career yeah. where you started to really recognize that, that that's exactly what you're about. And it wasn't about pushing yourself forward. It was more about others.
2: Yeah, and it actually kind of depends is that when you move into a new role or a new a new place, oftentimes you do need to take a little bit of that in the beginning. Uh, just because then they then the people that are around you, they feel good about that they brought in the right person. So understanding that that once everybody's feeling pretty good about things, you know, then you can start looking around and going, okay. How do, I, how do I bring other people into the fold? How do I get other people on the microphone? How do I grow other people? So, part of it is definitely as you're moving, I think I believe that as you're moving positions, it's making sure that people feel really comfortable with you as a leader. Um, but you know, as far as um, the maturity of it, you know, I, I think that it's, um, I think part of it is, is that I started looking around at some of the amazing things that were happening around me from people. And, and, and as a team effort, and then it would be my name on it, or it was, it was, um, you know, the school's name, but because it's the school's name and I'm the principal, it comes back to me. And so being really thoughtful about making sure that, you know, that you share with people, you know, Hey, you know, they, they really like that event. Like, you know, thank you so much. And yes, this person over here did a fantastic job or worked with the kids on this and, and always trying to make sure that you're sharing what's happening with that and, and bringing people along. And, uh, and I don't know that you can do it enough. Yeah. I think that, I think that, especially like in my role, I'm in my fifth year here. Um, we're good. We're a good team. We're a solid team. And uh, But I, could I be out in front all the time? Sure. But we don't. We, we make sure that other people are on that mic and, and getting out in front.
1: I like that idea of get other people on the microphone. And it, it's essentially public praising, isn't it? You want to praise people in public when that praise is due. And Maybe it comes back to one of the other things that Alan suggested from uh, from the research he's reading, which was dealing with unprofessionalism. Um, mm-hmm. If your praise is public, how how do you deal with the other side of things and the, the difficult conversations and the conflict that might come with?
2: Yeah, and, and you know, and, and I think that people do it differently. I I do come from a coaching model, and um and I, and I'm unapologetic about that. I think that if we hire people into an organization, um, as long as they aren't hurting anything right I mean anytime anytime you know the the system is being hurt or the student is being hurt in any way even if it's if it's by bad instruction then then you have to make a change because that that can't happen but you know when you bring in somebody and and maybe they just can't get their feet underneath them and it may not be the right fit right away is that I think that we have an obligation to make sure we're coaching people through that that and that we're giving them feedback and trying to help them along um, and you know what? And sometimes it doesn't work out. And and I think that I think the other thing that's important to note is that just because it doesn't work out doesn't mean that they're a bad teacher. It doesn't mean that they're a bad leader. It just means it's not the right fit. You know, for some schools or for some other places, it, the way that they're the way that they are working might be a really good thing. And so I think being careful to pass pass a lot of judgment onto people, and um, and then also helping people move along if when appropriate. You know, the other thing is that when there there are times, and I've definitely had times that um, we, you know, where I've worked with teachers that just are bad for kids. And and I think on the other side of that, making sure that you aren't giving a fluffy recommendation so that that person is working somewhere else. So you don't pass that along to somebody else, you know, and being really honest about, about the skills that people have. We're moving now, I
1: think, David, into another aspect of what you talked about from this idea of Leading from the side, you know, we talked a lot about trust and social equity. And I think we're starting to touch upon care here. And, and how do you demonstrate care for your staff? And how do you demonstrate, as you've mentioned there, the effect that their care of the students has on, on their own well being, on the students' well being, and on the team dynamics and the culture? And how does that play into
2: that? Yeah, I, care is really important. I mean, even, even through challenging HR conversations you can still be caring in those conversations and direct. Um, there's, a, there's a way that you can, that you can do it. You know, I, I, I've heard people in the past talk about, well, I'm just being honest with somebody. And I said, there's a difference between being honest and being mean. You can be honest with somebody and do it from a caring way. Um, and then there's times where you're being honest and really you're just trying to stick it to somebody. And so you know, being really thoughtful about that, about how you are sharing your honesty with people um, you know, is it from a construct? Are you coming from it from the right angle, um, from the right place? And so I think that you know, being being thoughtful about that. And if so, when people leave your organization for whatever reason it is, they'll leave in a good place. You know, they'll talk highly about the about the experiences they had, and and that will maintain, which is a good thing. You know, I think that that really respecting people and taking care of people is important. But but again, I'll tell you, it comes back to the fact that people know here that, that I care about them and I care about their family and that if they need to come in and sit, I will clear my calendar and we'll sit and we'll talk, you know? And, and again, you know, I was talking earlier about how, how I try to work really hard with my calendar and make sure that it, everything's really organized so that I, I can maximize those spaces. But I'll also be the first one that if somebody says that they're going through a, you know, the, the a challenging time with their family, that I'll, I'll immediately clear the calendar and, and I won't clear it for 15 minutes you know, I'll clear it for an hour so that we can actually have the time to sit and talk.
0: I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I love this concept of care uh, and, and being thoughtful and precise with your conversations. Now, is caring something that you learn or is it something that you've just developed as your moral and your core values through your upbringing? Or is it a bit of both? What, 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 where's that come from, David? Because it's not natural to everybody.
2: Yeah, I think that early on, uh, my, my, my tendency as a leader was to be direct. And basically, if you didn't like it, tough, right? Move on. And, and I watched, again, going back to mentorship, I watched some really incredible leaders have challenging conversations and do it in a way where I, I, watched, I watched intense conversations where parents and, and the administration were just so angry at each other. And I watched it. I watched someone so masterfully handle the conversation to where those parents left. And I thought, how are, how are they not angry at this point? Like I, you know, they didn't get anything they wanted when they came in, all the points that they talked about were, were blocked. And, but yet they're leaving this, this meeting in a positive place. And, and I just watched people do this over and over again. Whereas for me early on, they would come in, I would debate it, they would leave angry and I'd move on to the next thing, you know? And so I just, I think that it's, it's probably empathy, but also it's, um, it's understanding that, that when a parent comes in to talk to you, they're talking about the most important thing in their world with their kid. And it's emotional and it's hard. And so when you talk about an issue at school, um, a grade, uh, anything to do with someone's child, It's, it's deep. It's a deep emotion. And so, you know, when I, when I work definitely with newer administrators, I I try to share that, that, that you have to understand that it's not personal to you. It's scary for them. They're scared for their child. And when people are scared that they act out and they say things that are angry. And, and if you just can stay calm and help people through it, they'll come back around. It may take a while you know, but most of the time they come back, there's still a few out there that haven't come back around, you know, with our conversations for sure. But, but, you know, 90, 90% of people will reflect on those conversations when, when the issue dies down or when they can have a little space from it and realize that, okay, the school's doing what they can or that person is doing what they can to help my kid. It's just a really hard time. Yeah.
0: Give us, give us some of those tips, David, or when you watched those mentors dealing with it, what, what real clear points or guidelines could you give our listeners as to how to deal with that? You, you've talked about calmness and empathy. Mm-hmm. What did you do to, to just calm that situation down?
2: Yeah, it's, it's listening through even some of the crazy. You know, when, when some of the comments that come out and you know that you have a visceral reaction to respond and just not doing that, let them come in and talk. Write down all of their main points. And before you start talking about it, be clear about it. You know, sit there and say, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing all this through. Um, here are the main points that, that, I, that I heard that I want to make sure that, that we talk about today. And just that, just taking that time to let them vent without you trying to, to justify or to react instantly calms it down. And then, and then you can say, okay, let's, now, now that we know what this meeting is about, let's talk about this. And then, and then come from that, come from that angle. So, so, so just to paraphrase David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we listen through the crazy. That's right. We let them
0: vent. We we don't respond. Uh, we write it down and then we and then we paraphrase it back to them. Is that right? <laughs> yep. That's right.
1: That's right. So it's essentially applying the sort of coaching model like you've said earlier. You be presuming yep. that the person in front of you is a great person. And your role there is to facilitate and help them to solve the problem, maybe not necessarily solve it for them, but just to allow them to talk and, like you say, allow them to Then It is phenomenal how quickly people can calm themselves down if you just let them have that time to be able to verbalise what it is that their frustrations are. But have you ever found there's a situation, even as you've got more experience in leadership, where you've found that 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 still has left a really difficult situation for you to to deal with, it. maybe some of those tactics that Alan's yeah. paraphrased so well there didn't yeah. quite work. You know, is there, is there yeah. something else you can bring into that conversation?
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and, and part of that also is, is that there's a time, so if you came in and were meeting with me, you would see a very calm administrator, calm, calm conversation, uh, pragmatic, we're gonna to try to work through it. But there's also times I've had when, you know, a parent has stood up and is swearing in, a, in my office and screaming. And, and it's, it's me taking that moment of just saying, you know, we want to work together. And, and if you're not ready to do that right now or today, then let's, let's pause this meeting and we'll come back. Um, And if it happens again, typically I would just let them know that the meeting's over and let's, let's, let's come back another day. Um, But I think you have to definitely make sure you have some of those, those hard lines Um, when it becomes personal, when there's personal attacks, I don't care if somebody personally attacks me, it doesn't, it's fine. Um, It, it doesn't offend me. Um, I mean, we're all people, right? So at some point, sure, I don't love it, but but I also know that that it truly isn't personal. That they're just um, they're it's emotional. Um, but when you're sitting in a room with with other people and people begin to attack each other, that you have to make sure that you're stopping that behavior and that that we can't move forward with that kind of behavior in the in the office or for us to be able to, to fix the situations. And so making sure you call that out and just put those rules on the line.
0: How would you not take that home, David? Like when it's when it's yeah. so personal, and it you are emotionally engaged in that situation because we we are human. We are going to get emotionally attached to to that situation. What do you do then to prevent that uh, destroying your home life or uh, yep. affecting your relationship with your kids and your wife?
2: It's. It, I'll tell you, it would be very easy to have that happen. Uh, yeah. I think that. Um, for, for me, how I handle it is that um, I have a great team, leadership team that I work with, uh, with my associate principals, all of us at any point, if we need to stay after or, um, or not go home right away, you know, um, then we all have that dedication to each other to just sit. Um, and, and definitely the, uh, through some d- challenging times, um, the three of us at the end of the day would just sit in one of the back offices and just decompress so that we don't bring that home to our families. Um, I think it's also important to have someone outside of your organization that you're talking to whether it's a trusted mentor um, uh, a therapist uh, someone you need to have somebody that you can that you can breathe some of this into uh, because you can't carry it all the time and some of it is really painful and hurtful some of the things that people say and and so making sure that that you do have outlets for it because I'm telling you if you, if, if you go from that meeting and then you hop in the car and go home um, it it really has an impact of what's happening at home. I, and I would say that for years I, um, I was, I would have those meetings, I'd hop in the car and I'd go home. And there were times where, I'm, and then my wife and I'd be talking about it at home. We don't do that anymore. We don't talk about that anymore. I, I leave work at work um, and, and when I get home, let's, and this is what I share with our faculty also is that when, I go, when you go home, I want you to be home with your family. I want you to be a friend with somebody. I want you to be there for your spouse because if, if you're good at home, then you're gonna be good here. And so we, it can't be a 365 cycle of, of just living in the school or living in the conflict. You have to find ways to break it up.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one that because education is so consuming, it's, it's you can almost describe it. it's not a vocation, it's a lifestyle,
2: really. 100%. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I, I was, I, I, share, I shared with a, a faculty member the other day, I said, we, we live, we give everything to our to our uh, to our jobs and to our kids at the school. And and it's so hard not to bring that bring that with us out of here. But we have to at times. You know, mm-hmm. it it we are we we are in the business of people and and relationships. And so and with that comes emotion. And so it's really important to make sure that we have that we have built capacity in people, but also that's also another reason why you need to have more leaders on your campus to be able to help out and to be able to recognize that somebody's struggling, uh, so that and if it is going home at night or if it is having an effect outside of the school, that one of that me or my team has an idea of it, so we can have a conversation around it. When I, if I get an email from it from a faculty member at midnight, uh, I, I will go and have a conversation and ask them why they're working at midnight, and and say what's you know what's going on now for some. They'll say, you know what, I go to bed late and that's the time that I feel more comfortable to get things done. And I'm like, fair enough. All right, just make sure you put a, a, a timer on that email next time because you don't want people to think, you know, what, what's your deal? How come you're working at all hours of the day? So, you know, it's okay if that's the time that you have to work, if you're being intentional about it. But if you feel like that, that your work life is all encompassing, then there's something that there's something missed.
1: Yeah. And I think that brings us really nicely to the whole idea of a, of a culture you've talked about social equity you've talked about trust and care and given some amazing takeaways David so thank you and, and I just wonder if you could start to bring that together now of, of how what's the interplay between those three things in creating that culture of support of care of leadership within your school
2: I, I actually think that there's a couple of key pieces with it one is that you have to you have to under you have to check your ego at the door, you know. As a leader, you have to you really have to be okay with yourself, and you have to be okay with with letting other people win and 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 letting other people lead. And so, making sure that that you know really understanding who you are, you know, um, Alan, I appreciate you talking about some of the, the the things that you're reading right now. For me, one one of my comments that I have all the time is is you always need to be reading. You know, I'm, on every Sunday night when I'm working, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm also reading three or four articles um, every Sunday to find something to be able to share to our faculty. And so I have a list of all the articles that I've shared with them over the years. But, you know, in that I found books that have helped me understand myself, um, understand education. And so really staying up and reading and being active with that is something that I also helps bring all this together, you know. I think, you know, when I think about what I've, how I've grown over the years, definitely some of the, the readings that I've done have, have shaped that. And there's times where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why, why is it that this relationship I have with someone is always tense? What is it? What is it about that relationship? And, and to be able to, to have some different tools to go to and say, you know, to, to read and reflect on it and see what you're doing, you know, um, compared to always thinking about what that other person is doing i think is is also another piece that you have to just keep keep working on all the time you know and and at the end of the day it's making sure that you're available for people and you know really truly listening and and actually caring like you can't just pretend to care you know you actually need to ask them questions about their life and and to know something about them and, and if you do I, and i would tell you that the the social capital that we had to cash in over the past couple of years um, was hard. We had to make some really hard decisions, and and I think that we are we are in this place today in a, in a really good place today because we had a lot of capital in the bank. We did use a lot of it, but it didn't go empty, and so that trust was still there when we were coming back out of it. They knew that we were. Although they may not agree with some of the decisions we're making, they know that we're coming from an angle that is good for the organization or, or good for our students. And so I think that, again, you know, um, just and, and being consistent, you know, if you're a consistent leader, you make consistent decisions, uh, it's easy for people to follow.
0: Just, just, just coming back to culture there, though, David, I, I'm interested here. Uh, not every school's got this wonderful culture. There's a lot of toxic cultures out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm wondering what would be the first things you would address as you went into a new school and you felt that it wasn't quite the culture that you want to yeah. promote. What would you do?
2: Well, I've, I've, I've been there and I've done that. I, I've walked into cultures that are really hard. And, you know, I, I think that starting with your leadership um, group, you know, so for us, it's teacher leaders or heads of department along with your administrative team and building some trust there. Because it'll filter through, and getting to a point when, when you when you're saying something or you're, or you're presenting something, and someone in the room tilts their head, a, a, you know, one way or does a long blink or takes a deep breath and pausing and saying, you know what, let's not leave for that, let's not leave that. So, so Alan, what? Tell me what that was. Tell me, tell me what you're having a problem with. And then, and then what the thing is is that to be able to to directly talk through that, and then for that person to know they can walk away without feeling like I'm going to come back at them for any reason. It's a safe place. And that's, that is really critical, but you also have to call people on that behavior. And sometimes it's individually. And, and, and again, coming from a place, you know, I've, I've definitely had faculty members over the years that have, you know, had some hard days. And, and for me to come in and say, Hey, you know, that's not like you, can you, can we talk a little bit about what was going on today? You know, and, and we got to be able to have a collaborative environment. So was it, was it a hard day? Was it something, was it topic? Was it me? You know, what, what, what do we got going on? And so again, having that open, open conversation with it, but if you don't address it, it will just continue.
0: Okay. So it's calling the behaviors and not yep. the person that, that that's crucial here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also it's that coming from a place of positivity, right? I mean, I could easily go to some people and say, what's your deal today? You know, but instead to be able to come from it as, you know, I I noticed that today was a challenging day, you know, or, or you made some comments today that I was a little concerned about Right, everything going okay, you know, and so coming from a place of, of, that's not like you, because if it is like you all the time, probably not the good place, you know, it's probably not the right place for you, you know, (laughs) so, um, because we all have to be able to work together, and, and you don't see any anybody else acting that way.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a really nice finish there. We, 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 we love that building the trust. We, we love on this podcast about cultures and building positive cultures. It leads in nicely to our, our finishing questions, David, where we like okay. to have a bit of fun to finish off on. Right. Um, my favourite one, David, is three leaders, past or present, dead or alive, that you would like to go out for
2: a meal with and, and why? So... Um... I think that this would be this would be an eclectic group for sure. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Martin Luther King, and the Dalai Lama. And you think think about the experiences of each one of those people. And and recently, I'm reading the book. uh, It's called uh, "The Book of Joy," and it's Desmond. It's a it's a it's it's a story about Desmond Tutu and Dalai Lama coming together over over the course of a week, and someone is just writing their experiences and what they're saying to each other, and so it's just really fascinating. You know, all of these people have had uh, such incredible experiences, but also challenges. You know, uh, real challenges, and so you know to sit around and and to understand, um, you know, how do how do you how are you positive during a civil rights movement? You know, how how are you when you're exiled from your country? how do you become a faith leader, you know, and so those are some great, I mean, I would hope we'd be able to have more than dinner if we were, if we were all sitting <laughs> together, because there'd be a lot of questions for sure. It'd be a long one, it'd be a
1: long one. <laughs> that, that, that book that you talk about there, the Book of Joy, is, is um, a colleague, uh, a former colleague, bought me that, thanks Jude, for, for getting me that a little while back, um, and I, I read that, Almost a little bit skeptical of of not being a particularly religious person. Um, skeptical is maybe not the word, but maybe not with, with a huge enthusiasm. And, and within the first few pages, you realize it really is something special to have two people of such rich yeah. knowledge and experiences. And and it's very much written as a fly on the wall, the guy who, who traveled with them, isn't mm-hmm. it? Of these are just yeah. some of the things I heard and how we acted. And the the sort of grace and the the poise and the respect that they showed each other throughout it. I, I found it one of the most phenomenal, like really surprising, but one of the most phenomenal books I think I've ever read. It really stayed with me. I've still got it now. I, I go back to it now and again. I think it's superb.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. The, the The kindness between yeah. the two of them, yeah. but then the, the, the friendly banter and the respect for one another is it's, it's, it's a really great read. And, you know, it was it, actually, I, I, um, I'm always asking people, you know, what are they reading? And and so somebody had told me about this book and I read a lot of business texts and I, and I thought, well, it's something different, you know? And so I, I read it and I, and same thing as it, 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 it was, it, it was, um, I don't know, put a smile on my face as I was reading it, which was great. Yeah. It's, but, it's,
1: um, a, it's essentially a book of, of how to be a good human without giving you a step by step guide, isn't it? It's, it's just, right. it's just super.
0: I've got, um yeah. I've got a good recommendation for you here, David, that I'm reading yep. at the moment. It's, a guy called John McAvoy and a book uh-huh. on called Redemption. It's okay. absolutely phenomenal. He was a at nineteen, a, jailed in high security uh, prisons mm. in the UK. He was a convicted bank robber, and he turned his life around and is a, a champion Iron Man now. And it's, mm. a, it's an unbelievable story of how great where you grow up shapes you, and basically you don't really have much option to be in that sort of yep. sphere of criminality and then how he's broke away from that and just phenomenal story and very much fully recommended
2: on your list. Great. Thank you. Whilst we're on books, David, tell us, tell us
1: what you've read recently that you really enjoyed other than, of course, that fantastic one you sure. mentioned in the book of
2: Johnny. Sure. So, so i got a couple a couple different ones. So I, I have a stack of books always on my desk. Um, I typically, there are times where I get, I get a little bored. So I'm usually reading three or four books at a time and just kind of working between them. Um, and so, so currently on my desk right now, I have, uh, leaders eat last from Simon, Simon Sinek, and then, uh, be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. And that's from Brad Luminick. And that's a great one. I, I, just, I just finished that one. Um, and, and there's a lot of reflection on your leadership styles and how, the things that you do how it impacts other people and that was really good and then and then a, a book that a good friend of mine who who knows how i feel about email um a world without email from cal newport and so i'm <laughs> he's I'm, a digital I'm, minimalism I'm, I'm, guy isn't he <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
2: it is. I, I, I
0: remember a world without email actually david it involved
2: pigeonholes and lots of notes <laughs> being i don't know I what's know. best I know I know or or when it when it came to all voicemail I mean there was a time when I was in my first leadership role I had to listen to about two hours of phone calls (laughs) each day of parents leaving messages for the school so I don't miss those days (laughs) it was um has got to be a
0: happy medium somewhere in all this isn't there for for communication Yes.
2: yes for sure
1: David, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to listen to you and to, to, to talk with you today. Um, just as a, as a recap, I'll read out what, what we said at the beginning, which I think you've, you've described to us with such depth and with such rich examples. I, I'm sure it's been incredibly helpful to anyone listening. It certainly has been for, for Alan and I. Um, leading from the Side is about empowering a community to move forwards together, building trust and creating a culture of care. Um, and I know that just off the top of my head, you're looking through my notes. There's probably four or five different bits that you could implement tomorrow and and be a better person for it and really start to impact those around you. And uh, yeah, we're really grateful for your time, David. It's been, it's been smashing to chat. Thanks very much.
2: Yeah. It's been fun to to have a conversation. It's always good for me also to reflect on, on these things as well. And, you know, there is when some of these areas you know you, you start talking about it and you go hmm, maybe i need to beef that up again <laughs> revisit that <laughs> and, and make sure that make sure that you're completely doing it
1: thanks a lot david um we'll we'll uh, we'll catch up with you soon
2: all right sounds good
1: listening to sense makers brought to you by the infinite learners podcast and backed by tsunami the number one ego kit provider for schools worldwide you can learn more about tsunami by, by visiting tsunami sportcom and if you want to hear more from the infinite learners you can find us on your favorite podcast platform including spotify and apple podcasts until next time we'll see you